My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to selectquote.com. Selectquote.com. That's selectquote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at selectquote.com/commercials. Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. The National Parks Arts Foundation is an incredible nonprofit organization that creates extraordinary, and I mean extraordinary, and unique artist in residence programs within the National Park Service. Artists of all mediums and genres get to immerse themselves within a park unit for a full month. We're talking places like Loggerhead out in the dry Tortugas of Florida, out on an island. You could be at the Hawaii Volcanoes, a Gettysburg National Military Park, or the ancient and historic Chaco Culture National Historical Park in New Mexico. And that's what we're talking about today. What's it like to be an artist there? We have three guests joining us on Big Blend Radio's first Friday National Parks Arts Foundation show today. And they're going to talk about the artist in residence experience at Chaco Culture National Historical Park. So first up, we have Tanya Ortega. She's the founder of the National Parks Arts Foundation. Again, the website is nationalparksartsfoundation.org. And she's calling in literally hanging on the edge of a volcano, right, Tanya? So you could disappear at any moment today. <laughs> As usual, yes. I'm right on the volcano. <laughs> I love calling <laughs> you from the volcano. <laughs> That's always the best. That's the best way. Uh, also, Nathan Hatfield, he's no stranger to Big Blend Radio either. Tanya's on the show every, every month. Um, Nathan has been on the show a few times, and we met Nathan uh, back in Louisiana at the Cane River Creole National Historical Park. And now he's the chief of interpretation of Chaco Culture National Historical Park and also Aztec Ruins. And uh, he's going to tell us a little bit about the park. And you can go to nps.gov forward slash chcu. Nathan, welcome back to the show. How are you? It's great to be here. I'm doing great. It's awesome to have you back. I just want to know, are you still walking around with hot sauce in your pocket? After living in Louisiana. <laughs> I, always, I always keep Tabasco handy. You never know when you're going to need it. Oh, wow. <laughs> and you're in the land of chilies. This is crazy. But, you know, there it is. Louisiana to New Mexico. I get it. I get the connection. Uh, our third guest is really our guest of honor today because he is the artist in residence of at Chaco. And he is Hal Stewart. He is this incredible sculptor. Uh, he really creates these amazing bronze sculptures of, that depict the people of the Southwest, also horses, uh, animals. Uh, it is Hal Stewart, and you can go to his website, halstewartbronze.com, and that's Stewart, S-T-E-W-A-R-T. But welcome, Hal. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you, Lisa. I'm here in beautiful Taco Canyon, and the temperature's in the 70s today. It's beautiful, beautiful. And you're saying the 70s because we're in Tucson, and you know we're climbing into the 90s, right? You know of the beginning. Of course. You know where we're going with this. Of course, and I can't wait for it. <laughs> I know. Do you like the heat? I know that you... Oh, I you... love the heat. I love the heat. My first uh, uh, career was in the construction industry in Arizona, so bring on the 110 degrees, no problem. Okay, so construction is very interesting to where you go now with your sculpting and your sculptures. I mean, Nancy and I were looking at them, and everybody, uh, Big Blend Radio, Nancy says hello to everybody. Uh, she's in the geek tank, as you know, that sometimes she has to splash out and, and right. play with the geeks. But um, she's the main Madam Geek of website land here. But how, um, when we look at your art, I mean, it, it is, you are the Southwest dude. Uh, you know, you really capture the spirit and movement, not only of the Thank people, you. but the animals that you portray. There's a movement. It's very figurative. And I wonder about, like, you going from a construction background and ranching background and bringing that into sculpture that those fields helped you into this? 
Yes, they did. Uh, there's no connection whatsoever between construction and my uh, my bronze sculpting career. I discovered a talent when I left construction that I did not know existed. So when I, that's when I discovered my talent and started producing my bronzes. Oh, uh, no connection except, uh, yeah, I do love Southwest. Well, I just thought because you were still creating and building something. You know, that's how I my mind goes. Like, hey, he's still building something. He's got his hands in there. But it's it's amazing. You also served our country, so thank you so much for that. Uh, Navy, right? I better say it correctly. That's the Navy. If I get it wrong, I I hear I'll get in trouble. The U.S. Navy, four years. Wow, thank you. Thank you for your service. And You're welcome. You understand the human spirit. What attracted um, you to pretty that? Pretty much so, yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry? I said, what attracted you to that, to capturing that in your work? Um, I like to put some action into my figures. I don't want a figure just to stand there and say, uh, look how pretty I am. I want my uh, pieces to to tell a story, to make the viewer stop, think a little bit, uh, wonder, and, of course, smile and enjoy. Mm. Yeah, you do make us stop, and you also make us stop and think back to a time that is we're still in the balance of. That if, does that make sense when you look at the changing times oh, now? Yes. But we're still oh, yes. like, if you're in a place like Chaco and a place like Arizona, you go south of Tucson, right? Yes. Time is kind yep. of, we're in that borderline of like, no, we're not going into, like, we're not, you're not going to digitize us. <laughs> we're still here. We're still here. Yeah. Exactly. This is so exciting that you're at Chaco, and um, I want to bring Tanya on to talk about this because I think Chaco, it's such a deep place, and I can't wait to get there. Nancy can't wait to get there. Uh, but Tanya, um, these programs through the National Parks Arts Foundation are very unique and amazing that an artist can spend a month. Um, whether they're right in the park or, you know, staying on the outside, it, it's really about being able to be focused for a month on your craft. And, and you know, whether you're there taking photos to paint later or whatever it's going to be, this is a very unique opportunity. But from what I've seen on your post, too, that Chaco is, is something very, it's deeply connected to the National Parks Arts Foundation and its heritage. Well, it, it really is. And... Um... I've been going to Chaco myself uh, since before I can remember. Um, I remember my grandmother who uh, lived down the road on I-40 there, past Hauk, between Hauk and Sanders, um, taking me when I was really, really young and making the drive out there, believe it or not, and, and a Lincoln, an old Lincoln, um, mm. which which – uh was 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 pretty amazing but um i uh just personally chaco is a magic place but i i wish that there was a different word that interpretation could tell me to use rather than magic but um it is it's just amazing it is uh also so, sort of like if if i if i'm getting my history right nathan corrects me how many different tribes and clans um, are they saying Chaco was the center of, the center of trade, the center of ceremony? Um, mm. And well, and also, I was an artist in residence there uh, for thought. a few yeah. years. I knew you'd so. finally say that. <laughs> Gonna drag it out of you. <laughs> oh. So it's um it's really really important uh you know with the foundation of course and we do have a panel of people who choose but I just love to see what Chaco is doing and mm -hmm. Nathan and the park staff are are just are are putting so much investment into the arts and artists and making sure that it is it's part of the interpretation and mm -hmm. uh part of of the heritage there's there's a lot of heritage and and legacy things that artists um that we've had and probably will have or are going to be doing to uh represent the peoples of the uh of the area. I think that's so important because the peoples were very creative and you know it that's something that we need to keep moving forward in life is remembering that creativity and that connection to the land, the earth, spirit, sun, moon. 
Um, and, and I think that's the interesting part too. It's, it's a dark sky park. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And I can't wait to get there. And I'm embarrassed that we haven't been there yet, but we're coming, Nathan. We're, we're like seriously going to be there. I mean, seriously, Lisa, it's going to happen. you've got to put this on your do list. You've got to uh, come to Chaco. Okay. I mean, we will. Mm. We're going to all of them, but like, we're, we're going to do it sooner than later. And, uh, you know, to me, this is, you know, you've got Aztec ruins near you too. And uh, Nathan, talk a little bit about this amazing park this history because it almost feels like when tanya talks about all the different tribes it almost feels like a gathering of nations that are celebrating something magnificent well chaco has always been a place where people would travel great distances to for various reasons and they did it in ancient times and they're still doing it today and uh, depending on who you ask there's approximately 21 identified tribes who claim to be descended from the ancient Chacoans. And those wow. tribes are spread out all over New Mexico and the Southwest. And those people still consider Chaco to be their ancestral home. And so for, for those people, it's just a spiritual place, a, a place where their ancestors were and the place that their ancestors built. But even people who don't have uh, Native American heritage. You know, Chaco just attracts people and it's a place where you can enjoy it with mm -hmm. a group of uh, people on a tour, but a lot of people enjoy the solitude that you could experience at Chaco. Not only is it an international dark sky park, but it's also an extremely quiet place. One of our former artists in residence, he did sound recordings and he, uh, he really kind of emphasized how quiet it is out there. So for people that are trying to find an experience like that, the solitude, the quiet, the natural sky, and just being amongst those ancient buildings that have been there for thousands, or well, approximately a thousand years, it's, it's an experience that's, that is really special. And in the National Park Service, we throw around this term, the power of place. And, you know, every national park has a bit of that, but oh, it's Chaco, huge. I really think, you know, that, that term, I think if you were to apply it to a national park and if you just had to pick one park, I think it would be Chaco. That's the interesting you place. say that. Yeah. Power of place. We talk about this on some of our tourism shows. We talk about responsible tourism and sense of place and the importance of our national parks, that they have this sense of place. You know what it was like. I remember, you know, a friend of mine, when we, Kings Canyon National Park, and we'd just come through from there, and they gave us this home video that they made in the 70s of Kings Canyon. And literally, almost everything was the same. And that is the power of national parks. When you, when you think about how things can be preserved in time, and let nature do its thing. Of course, a few trees had fallen and some things had happened, but it was pristine versus your neighborhoods. All of a sudden, the hills are gone and we've built more houses or, you know, that's just progression of life. But there's something amazing about these parks. And when you say that, the power of place, now I'm like, we have to up our words now. We can't just say sense of place. It's power of place, Nathan. I love this. But these people that went to Chaco, is, am I right? They were like really building more of a gathering of solstice. It wasn't really cliff dwellings where you're going to live there, but it was, it was for a celebration. They, they were, were going building, to have a party. Yeah, they <laughs> were building from the ground up, and it was the first time in the Southwest where buildings like this were, were being seen on the landscape. Before what was happening in Chaco, buildings were very modest, pit houses, and then they just started building on this grand scale. Wow. And people were coming from, you know, great distances, not only to help build, but there was a lot of trade going on, exchange of goods, but also we think exchange of ideas. Mm. So it became, you know, the, another term that we use for Chaco is the center of the center. Mm. You know, it really was this place that its influence radiated in all directions, north, south, east, and west. And not only mm. did ideas leave Chaco, but ideas were coming to Chaco. And I mean, they found scarlet macaws 
that came from <gasps> Central yeah. America and, and maybe even parts of what is now Mexico. Right. And that's just mind-blowing when you think about, you know, the, they didn't have the wheel. They didn't have horses, but they were still bringing stuff in from tremendous distances. The trade, yeah. the trade routes are incredible. I mean, it's true. I, I, I met a gentleman in uh, Silver City, New Mexico. And he had a seashell as uh, John Gonzalez, Gonzalez, and uh, he's Apache. And, and he's like, well, we were filming him for for a feature, and he goes, well, there's a seashell he, on his on his you know necklace. And we're like, well, how did you get the seashell? And he talked about the trade routes, and this is how. And different tribes would intertrade with each other. Yes, there were tribal wars, but there were these different routes. And it seems like this was this like, let's get to Chaco. It's like Woodstock. Let's all go to Woodstock. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just saying. It's like if you look at it like today, well, not today's time, but you know what I mean? There is this like that's this exodus to a specific place. And I think that's important. There's this, it seems like a place of unity and almost like not, I wouldn't even say national. It's like global, like a peace summit almost. Or, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, when we look at how we've gone in the world where we have all these big, conferences with people all sitting around somebody in the middle and everybody has their little microphones like but don't you think Chaco kind of had it before that I do I do think it was a place where people were coming um, and for like I said people came for different reasons but it was a place uh, a pilgrimage you know a destination mm -hmm. yeah and people might stay there for a few weeks or maybe a few months and then return to their homes and you know, take ideas and things that they learned at Chaco and apply that to where they were living. So, yeah, definitely a place where goods and ideas were exchanged and and people got together to to learn from each other and and uh, hmm. just spread those influences throughout the Southwest. I'm ready to go there now. See, like that's that's. I think we all need that. And we all need some peace and quiet. Hal, I want to go back to you and everyone. Go to HalStewartBronze.com and it's Stuart. S-T-E-W-A-R-T. -E no, just trying to prove I can spell again. I always do that. But um, how uh, it's interesting, you know, because you lived here in the Southwest and you still live in Arizona. You worked on ranches. You know the land. Whenever you work with horses and animals, I laugh on your bio. You talk about you've been stepped on. I have been oh, stepped oh. on. You're the first person I know that talks about being stepped on. And I have been stepped on multiple times. And it hurts. And that yes, will stay with you. Like minimum two weeks, right? Depending on what age, it it yes, hurts. It does. It hurts, and and they can, yeah. But you and understand. One of the sharpest pains in the world is to be bitten by a horse. Oh, been, that hurts. Been through so much of it, but it, yes. in, back in South Africa, we used to have horses, and it was it, we became like a sanctuary of horses and. Uh, wow. horses that were abused and then you bring them in and then next thing you know like they're still not going to be nice to you like you know <laughs> and you had to chill out but your horses your art I was just like you have that you have that exact you, there's just these looks that horses and movements and you really have it it's, it's amazing to me but also going through what you you have done in your life uh, you've done also two other uh, residencies in national parks uh one yes. is the north rim of the grand canyon which like really blew my mind of national parks years and years ago jacob's lake and that whole area i was like oh my god i didn't know it's just stunning it's just stunning up there and then mesa verde so mesa oh, verde yes. so going through that area living in the southwest understanding the cultures the ancient cultures into what we are today Going to Chaco, what has that been like when you, you're in this amazing ancient place? And do you kind of start drawing lines between, not drawing lines, but connect, connective lines, I should say, between the different cultures from what you've done before? I, when I was at the base of Verde, I, I was just overcome with the, you know, the beauty of the cliffs and everything. And yes. I heard about Chaco. And when I came here, my construction background kicks in. And I look at these, these buildings and they have to be called monuments. I look at them and I, I'm, how did these people construct this without any metal tools of any type? Hmm. I mean, they cut down, they had to have, I think it's over 2,500 timbers just to build most of these buildings. And they weren't like next door and they couldn't call Home Depot and have a truck deliver them. They had to literally go 50 to 60 miles away and cut them down 
with a wow. rock of some type and then carry those logs back somewhere laying up, weighing upward of a thousand pounds, carry them back physically by manpower to mm. this site and then shape them into the shape they want. It's just, it boggles the mind, the, the scope of their, the knowledge they must have possessed. And they never went to school, the schools we call them. And we call the people yeah. primitive, <laughs> far from it. Exactly. That makes you think about Egypt, right? And you, and you think about even the Mayan ruins. It's like we have this here in our country, Mesa Verde, when I first went there. And we ended up, we were supposed to take a nature trail, and we were on, on some trail for hours. Um, and I remember this being like, this is the coolest place on earth. Like, you know, this was one of my first, like, forays into national parks and understanding national parks was Mesa Verde. And it was like, wow. This is incredible. We have nature and people. And look at the cliff dwellings. It reminded me of Africa where I grew up. And it was like, this is so cool. But I have to say, Hal, see, your construction background does cut <laughs> in. You can't say it didn't help. But think oh, no, about it. it. Helps. it you helps. know, think about Chaco and Mesa Verde, people building way up there, too. That's It's, it's like it's Sometimes in Chaco. when I design my armature for the uh, pieces that I'm going to be constructing, the clay pieces, uh, a bit of engineering goes into some of them because of the positions of the animals, mm. the people. So, yes, my construction background does kick in then. Okay, good. Because I just think it does. I mean, because I would, like, I can understand the artistic, like, molding of things. And there's, like, a emotional tie in a way, right? When you mold, is there, like, a yes. not emotional? Yeah, but there you there's a feeling that goes into it. Well, there's a feeling when you're working on a piece in the clay. Uh, you can work on it for weeks, for months, and it just, it doesn't have it. It hasn't come to life yet. And then you will oh. do a few minor adjustments, and all of a sudden it's, aha, that's it. It just came to life. It has the life I needed. Then wow. you know you're on the right track. So um, you're birthing. You, like you basically, <laughs> basically yeah. that's, I guess, is one way to put it. Um, you know, I don't hesitate when a face is not correct. I don't hesitate to to literally obliterate the face and start all over, uh, make the face that I want. Sometimes my, my sculptors will have five to six different faces until I arrive at the final, uh, final one. Mm. So I don't hesitate to uh, tear it down and rebuild it. I guess that, again, is the construction in me. You so, did it once, you can do it again. And so your, your understanding of, like, there's, we're ambassadors for this program called the Eight Keys of Excellence. And the first key of excellence is integrity. The second one is failure leads to success. And it's about you're going to learn from what didn't work. And that's the best lesson you can get sometimes. That's right. That is mm. true. Very mm. true. But you also teach. That was the other part yes. where I'm going. See, I'm, in, I'm into segues here, right? <laughs> but um, <laughs> you, you also teach. You teach people how to sculpt. Yes, I do. I teach them. I show them the difference between a rock and a piece of clay. And believe me, a lot of them don't know the difference when they come into my classes. Uh, I teach them how to build their own armatures, how to attach the clay, how to mm -hmm. give the figure, uh, whether it be an animal or a human, how to give it uh, a life, how to give it movement, uh, mm -hmm. how to make it say something. Mm -hmm. um, I teach now at Scottsdale Artist School in Scottsdale, Arizona, which is a pretty prestigious art school, and I was quite honored when they asked me to join the faculty. I also teach the American veterans in the Phoenix area, uh, which mm. is a great, great pride for me. I, I think that's being with, amazing. I, I think that's amazing that you're doing that because I think that art is this process where you can you can work kinks out. And sculpture being hands-on has got to be therapeutic for people. Oh, it is. That's the reason our veterans uh, come in and uh, we can see such changes in from the first day they enter and they may be basically into isolationism where they don't want anyone to touch them or talk to them. And then after, after two or three weeks of handling the clay and uh, developing, making, creating something, their whole attitude seems to change. And we've seen so many what some people would call miracles. We've seen so many changes in our veterans, both men and women, and it's quite awe-inspiring when this happens and you sort of get cold chills when it happens. You see it. You recognize it. Yeah, I've, I've been through some parts of that in life in teaching music, and I, I've watched people go from 
not being able to move their hands because of going through a stroke to being able to right. move their hands, leave alcoholism. Um, just, I've seen so many things that the arts can do that I, I, that's why I love, I'm so glad you're on the show today and that you're a Chaco and what you're doing, because it's like, it, you really shine a light, a strong, strong light on the power of the art. And oh, yes. I, yes. It, it, you really do. And I want to bring that to Tanya. I mean, your program, we love your program so much, you know that. And I think that, it just extends. It's it's just it's never reaching. I don't think we'll ever know how far it goes, because the ripple effect is so wild in the arts. And we're talking about you know looking at um, what happens with veterans coming home and and that process. And I think that's something that you really understand, Tanya. You do that with Gettysburg and other programs that you have one for veterans. You have a specific program for that. Are you there, Tanya? Uh oh, Tanya. I think Tanya's not here. She's she, she made fell it. in. She fell into the volcano. It could happen. It could happen. It can happen. You never know. The first phone call I ever had with Tanya was she was in a volcano and we couldn't get her. We're like, get her. Did she fall in? And now we're right back. But no, but I think this is a big part. And okay, so Nathan, let me go to you about that because that's something the National Park Service works on too. Is looking at history and, and veterans too in a general part of it, when you look at it, the Park Service really does look at working with military history too. Certainly, yeah. And the Park Service, we employ a lot of vets and we have them uh, on our staff. And, hmm. you know, they're, I've, I've supervised and worked with numerous vets and they're some of the best employees that we have in the service for sure. And also, I think the very first veteran I ever met that was in, involved in the National Park was in Silver City, New Mexico, the Gila Cliff Dwellings, and he was a volunteer. And he just said this, he just couldn't let down his service. Like he couldn't, like he came home, his, he came home from Iraq. We have a video of it and talk, him talking about this. Like he wanted to keep doing he couldn't stop doing like, and then his wife was out still on the front lines, but he was a volunteer at this time. And he was just like, and it just kept him close to what he was doing and connected with people. And do you feel that way, Hal? That Oh yes. Yes. Once you start, yeah, you can't stop. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. The That's art is basically an international language. It knows no language barriers. Mm. It just it gets to all, all groups. What tell us about the beginning of your art, like when you decided I'm gonna do sculpture, but like what was the beginning of you well, getting I your had hands retired in clay? From, I had Go retired ahead. from construction and I had built a couple of um uh, speculation homes. Uh, didn't like that at all because dealing with subcontractors is like trying to herd cats. It's impossible. Yeah. I knew that I was in the construction industry. Anyway, I had some clay. I have no idea where I got it. And I had made the head of an Indian, and a friend came by and said, hey, if I would uh, put the body underneath the head, he would pay for the casting and buy the first one. And I thought, okay, fine, I have nothing to lose. So mm -hmm. I did. I finished the first one, fumbled and found a foundry, and uh, did all the things necessary. And I'm sure I got ripped off price-wise, but again, you learn from your mistakes. So I produced the first one. He bought it. I sold that one, and I thought, that was easy. I'll make another one. So I made a second bronze, sold it, and people started buying my bronzes. And I kept thinking, these poor people, what is wrong with them? <laughs> you know? But anyway, I started producing wow. three, four bronzes, and I finally was invited to show in an art show. And that's when I realized that, hey, there just might be a career here. That's so and cool. I decided, since I live in the Southwest, I was a cowboy. Um, I, I decided I will just do primarily the Southwestern people, mm. the animals, the cowboys, the, the mm. birds, um, anything that has to do with the Southwest. And before I do any, uh, any sculpture of any type, I do extensive research. Mm. That's why being here at Chaco affords me, gosh, just mountains of research. Things that I will take away from here and incorporate into my work, whether I'm doing a, Zin, a Zuni Indian or a Pueblo, or a Hopi Apache, um, mm. I will take away all this knowledge, and I will use the references that I've stored in my brain. I will use that knowledge, and this 
this Chaco Canyon is a once in a lifetime experience, just once in a lifetime. And I know that's mundane to say that, but it's true. It's an experience oh. that will never happen to me again. And it's, it's fantastic. It's awesome that you, you know, feel that way because I think that's an, it's, I mean, I, I look at your art and you really, you, you know, Nathan, you're talking about power of place. He's, he's got like the power of people. You show, you are, you have this ability to show people in a situation. I mean, it's amazing. That can be really harsh or in the moment, you in that moment, right? Did you and see the you, uh, one called Hello, Old Friend with the Wounded Veteran and the Horse? Yeah, I'm looking at that. How did you know? Uh, that's a veteran comes home from the war. He's still in his uniform, and he's a cowboy. And he's lost mm-hmm. a leg, and he's lost an arm. And his old friend recognizes him. His horse. And that's the reason it says, hello, old friend. Mm. And his horse is right there, right in front of him, listening to him. I think I'm going to cry. Well, I've, nobody... had grown, I've had grown men literally cry when they see that. It's it's touching. It's quite touching. Everyone, if you go to HalStoreatBronze.com, you'll see it. And it's and and the way the horse, the the left leg is standing back to allow him in, like that. You understand that connection between people and horses, and also love and loss. And you can take something that's really harsh, not just that photo, but just you're going through harshness of the land, of living the land or working the land, but you see, you show this glimmer of beauty and happiness. Like, you know what I mean? There's this roughness of working the land and you, it, you have that ability to, to show that it's not the end of the day. You know what I mean? There's this, um, resilience is the word. That's the word for your work. Thank you. Resilience. That's exactly it. That's, to me what it is and so for you I know that you also be, you're a teacher now so that your yes. role goes from okay I'm making sculptures but now I'm going to share this so you, your service doesn't end but you also don't mind demonstrating so um, I don't know where you're at on regards to demonstrations in the park is that happening or has it happened uh, it's going to be this Thursday night at 7 30 okay so you're getting ready for I'm that you don't them- I'm going to show them how to uh, build an armature attached to the clay. And then uh, after that, we will follow up with a PowerPoint presentation of the various bronzes I've made and uh, a slight description of each one. Mm, that's So uh, when you talk about that, they're, they're, these are going to be things you've done in the past, but you're going to do the bronzes from Chaco later. Yes. Yeah, because yes. that's a whole process. Like right now, what what's happening for you right now? And you're saying like, you're gathering the information and then this will be used for later. How are you documenting things? Like, how are you, I mean, are you sketching? Are you writing your feelings? In my mind. When I get ready to do a piece, everything comes out of my head. Um, Someone may mention something. I might hear a word. I may see a picture. I might have a thought. And that creates an image in my mind. And I start working from there. And then once I have the basic uh, details and everything down, that's when my research kicks in to make sure that I'm absolutely accurate in the, in their dress, their uh, hairstyles, their clothing, everything about them. Make sure everything is totally correct. Because mm-hmm. if not, uh, once you cast it, you can't change it. And someone will surely point out your mistakes. And there's no way to change them. So I do a great deal of uh, research after I've got everything mm. pretty well down in my head. <clears throat> my wow. big plan right now is that uh, there's a Buffalo Soldiers group in Arizona. Oh. Uh, black soldiers, they have contacted me, and they are in negotiation with the state of Arizona. And they've recently been given uh, land at the state capitol to build a monument. And wow. they have, the black soldiers have contacted me to do three figures. I, one will be, uh, I think it's on my website, the Buffalo Soldier on Horseback. And then I'll have two additional Buffalo Soldiers standing and seated uh, around the horse. They will be life-size, and they'll be on the grounds of the uh, state capitol. And I got a call this morning. They said, please hurry home. We have to do the preliminary sketches, details, blah, 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 and get it to the governor. Wow. I've got a week to go in Chaco yet, but I've got to, when I get home, I've got to kick it up a few notches and get busy. 
Wow. And the Buffalo Soldier history, people don't understand that the Buffalo Soldier history of the West is so prominent. It's huge. Like, oh, you know, yes. For Especially in New Mexico and Arizona. Yeah. But we don't think that. Like in Fort Bowie, like I go, I, I want to be like a like ambassador for that park because the history that went down there is so crazy and so incorporated of the rest of the country, what was going on. And yes. You know, it just goes into the, the Buffalo Soldier history in New Mexico, Silver City. I know that they have, yes. um, and, and Fort Bayard. I don't know if you've been there. Yeah. The Fort there, yes. Yeah. I can't bring anything to the table with you. You already know it. <laughs> 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 I love it. No, I love it. I love it. Well, I love it. When, you're, when you live to be as old as I am, you've done everything except meet God, and that's coming someday. <laughs> No, you can't do that for a while. You got a lot to do. I, I want to ask about the birds because your birds, like you know, Nancy and I love birds and and watch them every single day. And and I think a lot of people that go to national parks, birds are a big part of it. And it's such a calm way to and enjoy and understand. And they're the dinosaurs, the flying dinosaurs. You know, um, for you and Chaco, you, because again, you've got that that communication between them that just is amazing. When you're in Chaco, have you have you looked at the bird life and think like, okay, I'm going to do something on the bird side? Yes, vultures. We found a tree here, and I guess the rangers knew all about it. But I had discovered this tree one morning full of ravens. I mean, there must have been 10, 15 ravens. And then I was riding with one of the rangers the other night, and he said they seemed to um, collect in the evening down in the Chaco Wash. But he said he has counted upwards of 70 vultures uh, uh, there and I call wow. it my raven tree every morning I drive through the park make sure the rocks are still here and everything and I always stop and talk to my uh, my uh, vultures they're just waking up and waiting for the sun to warm them up see so, yes, I love I've that I paid attention to them and I hear owls up here Ooh. Um, I've seen the elk up here I've seen the deer you've seen elk? oh okay. yes now we have a problem I'm jealous now I'm like seriously jealous. I'm seriously, you got some jealousy going on. Nathan, you know how we are about this now, okay? Like the, the elk thing, the elk, if you say you have pronghorn, I'm coming over. <laughs> we have a I problem. I haven't seen pronghorn. Nathan, do we have them here? <laughs> I've not seen any pronghorn. Okay. so pro I haven't okay. either. Nathan, when, when you know, we, we've, you know, done so much on parks and, and then people are like, oh, there's antelope here. So when people say antelope, that is pronghorn, right? Because antelope is not a deer. This is antelope. But if we look at American antelope, that is going to be it, right? Pronghorn or are there other antelope we need to know about? Now, Lisa, I'm the history geek, not oh. the wildlife geek. So. Okay. Okay. So how how yeah, go for I it? You're a rancher. Is the, you know, pronghorn is the only antelope I think native to North America. Okay. Now, I could be wrong, but as far as I know, and I, again, I do a lot of research. That's the only one I think is native to North America. Yeah, and Nancy and I were talking about this the other day. We were like, okay, when people are talking about this, we were covering some areas in, in Colorado, and then also we were like, wait a minute, is it just the pronghorn? We're used to impala and stuff like that from Africa, so we're like a little... But they you know, have pronghorns in Colorado. Yeah, they do, they do, and yeah. that's amazing. And so that's why I was wondering, because Nathan, you're pretty close to Durango, right? Like That's your your one of your uh, gateway communities, right? Durango and, and Farmington? Or am I getting yeah. Durango is about, well, it's a short drive from Aztec. And it's uh, probably about close to two hours from, from Chaco. So, yeah, for hmm. Chaco, yeah, two hours away, is you can't consider that a gateway community for sure. What would be the immediate ones that when people are traveling that they need to know and some of those services, because sometimes you go to a park and you realize like you need to bring your own water. You need to, you know, don't think that you're going to have a full service restaurant, right? <laughs> That's true. And Chaco is one of those places where people do need to be prepared. The closest uh, grocery stores are in Crown Point and those are pretty modest. Any kind mm -hmm. of substantial groceries or amenities you'll find up around Farmington, Aztec, and Bloomfield. And those are an hour and a half away. So when visitors come, they need to have water, they should have food, and uh, yes. yeah, be prepared to be 
isolated and, and, and in a remote area. And nice. I think that's part of the appeal, though, too. Huge. People just need <laughs> to be prepared. I like that. I like that. And so there's no camping there yet, right? Or it's Chaco? Oh, gosh. Or... We do have a campground. Oh. It has been full. It seems like all spring. We had such a mild winter, and the past week it has warmed up to the 70s, like Hal has said, and our campground is booked full. So if visitors want to come and camp, and I would suggest that so that you can experience the night sky. To stay overnight yeah. and experience that night sky is an amazing experience. And so do come and camp, but make a reservation beforehand. And they can do that on the recreation.gov website. Mm -hmm. And that way you're guaranteed a spot. You don't have to worry about if anything is going to be available when, the, when you show up. And you can enjoy the sights. There's wonderful hiking. There's bicycling, too, that people take advantage of. Mm. But, of course, you know, the ruins and the night sky, I mean, you're not going to see stuff like that anywhere else in the country or in the world, for that matter. Exactly. That's the thing. And I love this about the night sky. It's such a huge deal. And, and it becomes so, in, you know, for all of us in cities, it becomes increasingly aware, like, we have sky pollution. Like, we, we you know, it's, it is what it is. It's about us all living and being around in our cities. But, like, here in Tucson, like, where we are, like we get up and leave early when we go to parks and stuff. And it's like, you could barely see our way out. Like even onto the street, we're like, uh Oh, you know, we're way in the dark. And I understand like these dark skies, but you guys are really, really out in dark sky country. And, um, you also, isn't the October residency more of that? Like you work with people that are coming in to film the dark skies. Yeah, our very first artist in residence was a night sky photographer named Stan Honda. And I don't know who they selected for the upcoming October residency, but I, I am aware that at least one night sky photographer applied, so we might get another one. But we get both professional and amateur photographers who want to go in and do night photography after hours. Mm -hmm. And it seems like we're getting those requests more and more and more because mm. the word has gotten out that mm. for night photography, Chaco's the place. I mean, you have the sky, but to have, you know, a place like Pueblo Benito in the foreground and have that amazing Milky Way shot in the background. I mean, it's something that people are traveling from around the world to come and do. That's so, amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and the thing is, it is, it's, you have your artists doing it, your photographers that are professional, and then you have the amateurs that are interested and kids that, to me, kids that can understand and get to see this need to see it now. And I'm like, like they need to see this now. <laughs> I'm just like a paranoid person about it because I feel like the more we, you know, develop as countries, and, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, to quote Seinfeld, um, it's about being able to get get see what you can when you can i mean i'm just i'm a child that grew up i'm not a child now but I, I as a child grew up in africa and i got to see multiple species at watering holes from crocodiles to marabou storks to impala to zebra giraffe i mean everything there 10 to 15 species just in one shot it's wow. not the same anymore you know it's in in some places you'll find it but it's not a normal occurrence and that's what I'm saying. Like, we need to go to our parks and be part of them now as much as we can because the earth is changing, right? And we're growing in populations. And so when you look at dark skies, this is a magical thing. And now we have, you know, this digital photography phenomenon that many people can go and do it, not necessarily as an artist, but you have an ability to be part of it. You know, it's like karaoke got people to start singing and, and enjoying music even a little bit more and be part of it. So I'm just saying, right? <laughs> just saying. I don't know about karaoke. Is there campground karaoke, Nathan, that happens at Chocolate? Uh, probably, yeah. There's all kinds <laughs> of stuff going on in the campground that I'm not aware of and probably don't want to know about. He doesn't want to know. I, he's going to keep – okay, so Hal, tell me about this. The night skies, for you being out there, 
do you like feel it is it darker than where you've been in southern arizona and on a ranch oh, yes I mean, yes i've never been any place in the world as dark as it is here at night. wow so it's my just, thing is you go outside nothing. and you're, the first thing is my god there are stars up there you know we're all oh. from metropolitan areas where like you said the light pollution is so bad mm-hmm. we just can't see any of the stars but up here yes yes does it tie you closer to the ancestral peoples when you think about how they lived by star My thought and when by I think sun. about that is that, you know, they, they studied it. They probably knew more about it than I did. But at the same time, it's the same sky they looked at hundreds of years ago. Most mm. of the uh, planets, the stars are still there. Same ones they looked at, the same ones they charted, they drew. Mm. Uh, it's all the same, even though it's been hundreds of years. The same sky is there. Wow. Now, tell me about your living quarters, because this is the deal. You're staying oh, in a park. Good. Okay, because we, want, we all want to know, like, any of us that want to apply, like, is this, a, is this a cool experience, comfortable? Like, would you do oh, it again? Oh, yes, 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 yes. My, my apartment is a one-bedroom apartment. I have a kitchen. I have a lovely living room, uh, couches. It's furnished. And from my living room, I see the hot butte. It's beautiful. I see it in the morning when I wake up. Oh, I wow. watch it all day long. And in the evening when the sun, golden sun hits it, it's like, well, it's like it's made of gold. It just shines. Oh. It just shines. The only oh. suggestion I could give them for the uh, the units up here, our living units, is decorate the walls. Being an artist, the first thing you notice when you enter any room, any building, are blank walls. They're horrible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but is Nathan but, listening? I, but, I hear you. <laughs> I, but I'm going to say this. That's the thing. Your first thing is you want to change it now. If, if you have somebody's art on there you don't like, it may really annoy you. So maybe no, it's put, about put challenging your creativity. What you want to paint? Pictures on. of the ruins here. Just okay. Put big posters of the ruins on the walls. Just anything. Nathan. I do paintings too. So I've done uh, three since. Oh I've really? Been here. Oh oh. So, Tanya, I know that you, you fell down the volcano. I really hope you didn't fall down the volcano. I really don't. I, she's one of my favorite people in the world. Uh, she is. She really is. Um, but, you know, so, Nathan, are murals allowed to happen inside park quarters? I'm <laughs> just saying. That would be cool. Uh, fortunately not. <laughs> We've got posters that we can put up, and that's a good suggestion. We'll, uh, that's try my to suggestion, that. posters. But it's funny that you mentioned murals because the buildings within the canyon, they would have had a plaster layer on the exterior walls and on many of the interior walls. And we think that those buildings were covered with murals and petroglyphs like what oh, we wow. see throughout the canyon. They so we see those buildings. Walls either. Yeah, when we see those buildings today, you know, it's the exposed sandstone and mortar. Mm. But that would have been plastered over with most likely elaborate artwork on on the walls. So, so yeah, like they, actual murals, like not not you know the petroglyph and the pic. What's the difference between a petroglyph and a pictograph? A petroglyph is scratched into the rock, and a pictograph they use some kind of some kind of material, probably plant plants and other things to kind of create like a like an ink or a paint. But as oh. far as what was on the plaster, it, we don't know exactly what was on there because the plaster is long gone, but it could have been murals or it could have been like what we see in the pictographs or petroglyphs. But in all likelihood, I mean, these were artistic people too. Mm. So in all likelihood, oh, wow. their buildings were covered with, with art and their expressions. So I was right about Woodstock is what you're saying. Like seriously. <laughs> They had like hippie murals. Going, no, I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> just saying, like, think about it. They all like, hey, the arts are all going here. You know, let's go because they all converge. It's interesting. I find it interesting because, to me, when you look at Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, and parts of Utah, when you look at that, eh, Nevada, you got to add Nevada and parts of California when you look at the Southwest. But it seemed to me that the tribes moved around a lot. It had to do with water hunting, and water is always a thing, right? If water is life, and 
I just find it interesting because it seems like a lot of tribes just kind of disappeared and we don't know like what happened what happened what happened in Casa Grande ruins you know that area the Casa Grande area what you know so it's interesting to me to try and piece all of that together and I'm you know every time I do an interview or go to a park I'm trying in my head to get the big scheme of who was what and where and it's it's difficult like it's do you find that Nathan I mean I know it's pretty, like, didn't they move around a lot, the different tribes? And did they just disappear? Like, what I'm well, saying. we know they were in Chaco for a few hundred years. That's a long time. The, the earliest building, we believe, was the construction began in about 850. And by the late 1100s and early 1200s, they, had, they were in the process of moving out. And, you know, the people, you know, they did not disappear. They went south and they went west and they went north. And today, you know, there's, like I mentioned early on in our conversation, Mm -hmm. there's several tribes that are descended from the people of Chaco. So they they migrated. Their their journey told them it was time to move to other places. So they Mm -hmm. did. Wow. Yeah, I understand that, you know. We're nomadics, so we we get that. And how with you going to Mesa Verde and also the North Rim, do you do you feel like you know that they moved around a bit? These people, like, is, is it water? Do you think? I'm sorry. Is it what? The, the, you know the the ancients, the the ancestral peoples. You got right. the Anasazi, right? And you've got all these different tribes that come from that. Do you think they moved because of water? Um. They left? No, I don't think they left because of water. Uh, like Nathan said, I think they decided that they had to come to this spot. Uh, it was something just told them they had to build here. That's the reason they built this uh, Pueblo Bonito wow. underneath this threatening rock, even though they knew it was going to fall. They knew that. They tried to shore it up. They still built this complex there. I think in, they, in their journey, this, was, this had come to an end. This chapter was closing. It's time to move on. Um, I have a Hopi friend, and he still talks mm. of Chaco Canyon. So, yeah, it was just they stop on their their life, and uh, yeah, they go on. I think the they Hopi- left because they were finished here. They understand cycles. You know, have you been to the museum in Flagstaff? Um, yes. Northern. Okay, yes, did you see the Hopi mural in there? Yes. And yes. I mean, this is like years ago I saw it. So, it, but it always got me that it was almost very Buddhist in thought. Of it was yes. like the cycle of life. I, that place never has never left my skin, of being in there and understanding their cyclical life. Like that, that's what humans go through. Nature does everything. It's this cycle, and right. it's kind of interesting when I listen to you both talking about Chaco and the people. It's like that's that they know when the cycle is coming to the next one. To get into the next, you know, get into the next yeah, circle. That's true. Yeah. Lisa, one of our longtime volunteers was talking to a group of us the other day, and he uh, was talking to a native man, and that very topic came up. Why did they leave Chaco? And this this Pueblo man said, you know, he thought about it for a minute, and he said, it was time to go. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, when you need to move out the neighborhood. And some people want to stay there. There's like a thing that happens. And that's just, if, if you look at human beings, we, for me, I just keep moving, you know, because that's just, I want to see everything. So I'll keep moving, whether it's fast or slow. And But I always look at the people that were nomadic and understand them more than what we are today. Yet, when you look at today, people are living away from their families. They are traveling around, right? Isn't it weird? Like when you look at cycles, like we are, we're moved anyway. Not to get weird on y'all. <laughs> we do move by cycles. Human beings do. Um, but really, uh, I'm so excited how your work is phenomenal. Um, Thank you. Really, we can't wait. Please keep us posted as you create and 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 move this on uh, for people to understand okay. more about Chaco. This is so amazing. Um, everybody, okay. again, go to HalStewartBronze.com. Also, keep up with Chaco Culture National Historical Park. I keep wanting to say canyon. You know that, Nathan. You know. <laughs> I Can't understand. Help it. Yeah. I know. I know. It's annoying. Everybody, NPS, 
.gov forward slash CHCU, but you can't both go away. I have one more question for you. Ooh. Yeah. Ready. So, like, Tanya knows. Maybe that's why she's, like, disappeared down the volcano. Mm. She's, like, she's going to ask about the one-hour walk. We have a movement on Facebook, onehourwalk.com, everyone. Check it out. It's to get people to take, go out, take a walk, at least one hour walk once a week, whether it's someplace you're traveling to, your local community, and to just get a breath of fresh air and observe the little things. So what I want to ask each of you is, if you're going to take a one-hour walk in Chaco, any of that area, where would that one-hour walk be? Because I have no clue about the trails yet. And who would you take with you? to gain some wisdom, or just to share a really nice walk with. It could be someone alive or passed on. So, Nathan, oh. you're the park ranger. I'm starting, starting with you because <laughs> of the trails. So, Well, it might take a little longer than an hour, but I think I would go up to the Pueblo Benito Overlook, which is on the Pueblo Alto Trail. So you're on top of the mesa, and you're looking down on Pueblo Benito. It's a bird's eye view. And it just really kind of puts it all together for you. When you're down on the ground seeing things, yeah, you can get a sense. But when you're up on top of the mesa looking down, wow, it's really mind-blowing. And I would take my children. Oh. My kids are five and seven now. And I think they're ready for that kind of hike. So I think they're old enough to, you know, climb up on top of the mesa with me and, and not get too tired beforehand and uh, I think they're ready. So I've been thinking about doing that here pretty soon. Oh, right on. Any tips for parents taking kids on a trek? Well, this is not just for parents, but any visitors bring lots of water, make sure everyone's got comfortable hiking shoes. And also the elevation is over 6,000 feet and a lot of wow. people don't realize that and it can, it can sneak up on people. So one way to avoid any kind of elevation sickness is again, to stay more hydrated than you normally would. But yeah, for kids, there's moderate hiking trails. There's junior ranger activities. We've got a junior ranger book that kids can do and earn a special junior ranger badge. So yeah, families are definitely welcome. And for kids that grow up in cities, when they come to Chaco and they mm. get to see the Milky Way, I mean, it's a oh. pretty neat experience to see their reactions when they get to see these stars that they don't get to see in their own backyard. Oh, that's magical. That's got to be magical to see, like, honestly, yeah. that, you know, because you, you, you can't really, yeah, really envision it until that happens. So let me ask you, Hal, what about you? Who are you taking on a one-hour walk and where? Um, I would probably go over to uh, Jetro Kittel. It's one of my favorite ruins here. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, I would like to take, well, in addition to my two granddaughters, I would love to take Benjamin Franklin along with me. <gasps> oh, um, my. That man was so weird. <laughs> he was an inventor. He was, uh, he, just, he just fascinates me, absolutely fascinates me. But that's who I'd like to take along and uh, get his interpretation of uh, things going on around him at the time. And uh, that would be very interesting to sit down and have a conversation with that man. Oh man, I want to I want to hang out with you on that one because like I have a fascination on Benjamin Franklin, yes. and it's crazy and weird is good. I no one else has said weird other than me, so I'm like really glad someone said it because yep. he, he he there's like there's some weirdness in there. There is. Have you read his biography, the big one, the like the big biography of uh, Benjamin Franklin? I've read it's several. I don't know whether I've read the big one. I've read several of his biographies, well, biographies and so autobiographies and so forth. But yeah, I need, yeah, I need to I need to go look up who I'm talking about, who wrote that, because it was like this big. It was like a you know like a Bible, and I have was, found that creative people, um, creative people sometimes are considered weird, and especially applied that's okay. to artists. It's uh, okay. Are happy around their their own type when they're with an artist convention and an art club meeting. These people are so happy because they're not strange, they're not weird. They're they're with their own type. They're creative. Yes. They can say things. They can do things that uh, the general public might just raise an eyebrow over. But creative people are different. They they see the world differently. It's and they exciting. It differently. Well, thank goodness for that, because that's what's needed. You know, everybody's yes. worried about everything with artificial intelligence and everything. And I'm like, actually, 
I think we're in the era of creativity right now. It's about yeah. how you work with things, how you how you handle it. And change breeds creativity, which I think is a good thing, no matter how oh, yes. hard it is. Change you know? is good. Absolutely. Thank you guys for joining us on today's show. It's been such a pleasure. Um, everybody, the National Parks Arts Foundation, go to their website. It's really hard. Nationalparksartsfoundation.org. Uh, and keep up with them. They always have deadlines for their submissions. And it's about how the grants work. So they'll get a grant and then they have to be like, everybody, you know, submit now. <laughs> That's really how it is. And you you just have to be as diligent as you can. If you go to their website, sign up for their newsletter, because uh, that way you'll get, like, as soon as something is available that you can submit as an artist, whether you're a poet, a filmmaker, a musician, you know, it's open to everybody. Uh, again, it's nationalparksartsfoundation.org. They're also on Facebook and Twitter, another way to keep up with these submissions, um, because really they move fast. And, and that's just the way grants work. It's got nothing to do with anything but that. Um, and everybody, keep up with Hal and his work. Go to HalStewartBronze.com. That's Stewart. It's S-T-E-W-A-R-T. HalStewartBronze.com. And go to Chaco Culture National Historical Park. is NPS.gov forward slash C-H-C-U. I got that right, Nathan, right? You got it right. Made sure. Got to make sure. <laughs> and I spelled Stuart right. I got to make sure I got my spelling test done. Like, how am I okay with that? Do I, oh, yes. Do yes. I get a thank star? You. Uh, thank you both for joining us. Everyone, don't forget, Big Blend Radio airs Sunday through Thursday, or excuse me, Monday through Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, Fridays and Sundays, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Don't forget, keep up with us also at nationalparktraveling.com for your travel plans when you go to national parks and discover their gateway communities as well. And that's also home to our Parks and Travel magazine, which you will see how's working, by the way. <laughs> so check that out. Oh, good. Thank you. I know. That will be coming up soon in our June-July issue of the magazine, if I get that straight in my head on publishing dates. But we're going to play some music for you both, and, and also for Tanya, even though she's playing around a volcano. Uh, and for our listeners, it's called Chaco. And uh, this is such one of my favorite songs of all time. And if we're going to talk about Chaco, we have to play the song. It's from the Tall Men Group out of Southern California. It's from their very first album together. It's 12 by 6 because it is six tall men who have a writing challenge. And they produce an album a year from it. And this is 12 by 6. So 12 songs by six tall men. And you can go to tallmengroup.weebly.com. So enjoy that. And thank you, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, listeners, as always. And thank you, guests. And here it is, Chaco. Take care, everybody. I remember these canyon walls. I remember desert winds. Though I've never been here before It's good to be back here again It's good to be back here again Oh Chaco, you were my home And part of me still here different face in this place the time is long since gone oh Chaco you were my home I remember turquoise in my hand I remember stars at night Walking a dusty road I don't remember how I died I don't remember how I died Oh Chaco You were my home The part of me still here 
that face in this place The time is long since gone Old Chaco You were my home A glimpse behind the curtain The shadow on the wall A vision I can never grasp A few pieces of the puzzle Fragments of the truth These memories from my ancient past Old Chaco, you were my home And part of me still here These same eyes But a different face in this place Time is long since gone Oh, Chaco, you were my